Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just trying to figure out her life. I'm Mary. I'm Shelly. And am I still trying to figure this out? I don't know. Have you got it figured out yet? No. (laughs) (laughs) So this is an unusual episode today, Shelly. We have a really exciting show today because it's our very first guest on our podcast. Our very first. And we, we've we had a lot of opportunities to interview people, but I'm telling you, I was saving this very first for a certain person. Okay. And who might that person be? My good friend, Sam Young. That's awesome. Yay. Welcome, Sam. Yay. Yay. So pumped. Glad to be here. We're so happy to have you. And um, okay, so for people who might not know who Sam Young is, there are some never Mormons listening, not just me. Sam, who are you? Tell us about yourself. Well, I'm a man. I'm a, I'm, I'm one of the few men that has an eight pack. And only you <laughs> and Shelly know about that. Yeah. Literally, you're the only ones that have ever seen it. Except my wife ever seen that. Um <laughs> We I will, will never be the no, same again. No. We won't tell her. <laughs> so there it is. That's the most important thing to know about me. I have got a stellar eight pack on yeah. my... All right. Well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> Join us again next week. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a 66-year-old man. I was a member of the Mormon church uh, from age eight. Until age 65, I was excommunicated a few months ago. Uh, So you're listening to a man that, according to my church, is going to the worst place possible in after after I die, go to the worst place possible. So I'm going to live it up while I'm here. I'm going to make sure I always have that eight pack on. All right. Yeah, it's like you're either drinking the eight pack or you're wearing the eight pack. We're not really sure. But I think we're going to be joining you in the worst place possible. So we'll just kind of continue the party afterwards. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, so I'm. I was uh, born and raised in Utah. I hit all the traditional milestones of a Mormon boy. Uh, served a mission in Guatemala and El Salvador for two years, and frankly, I still view that as a wonderful experience. It was a great two years. Um, married in the temple. I have six children, all of them daughters. At this point, they're all married uh, still. One is going through a divorce that we're hoping to be finalized soon. Um, I live in Houston, Texas, small business owner. So there you go. Okay, there you are in a nutshell. But you have a big story to tell, and it's an ongoing saga. Uh, Just because the church excommunicated you doesn't mean that your story's finished. Um, And we want to get into all that. I love that you provided an outline. I want to go down here uh, line by line. So you say... It all started with my eighth grade slogan for class president. What does that mean? Well, this has to do with a little text exchange that Shelly and I had. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so here was my eighth grade cl- uh, slogan, and it got me elected. <laughs> I am Sam. Sam, I am. I want to be your president. Man, <laughs> that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I elect you. I, I, <laughs> you have my vote. <laughs> but maybe more importantly than that, which I'm glad you got to be class president. But the next line on your outline says, in the summer of 1977, you met your first lesbian couple at your first gay bar visit. Tell us about that. So I was at Brigham Young University. And during the summer of 77, I got a job out in the middle of the desert working with a company. My, my degree was in chemical engineering. So this was an engineering company, but there were only like three of us out there. And uh, this is a couple hours east of San Diego. So I would go over to San Diego on the weekends and do stuff. Well, one weekend I was alone on the beach and I met a girl who was also there for... Um, just the weekend. She was with her mom. We got talking and decided we'd go out dancing that night in San Diego. I had never been dan- I'd never been in the bar before. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we asked people, where can you go dance? 
and somebody recommended two, they recommended two places. And the first place we went, since I'd never been to a bar, I didn't know anything and I don't drink. Uh, she was not Mormon. She probably drank. I didn't ask her, but I didn't want to sit down. I just wanted to go directly out on the dance floor. So we did. All right. We just went straight out on the dance floor and started dancing. And I started looking around that this is probably normal for my lesbian friends too. I started looking around to see what other cute girls might be on the dance floor. <laughs> normal, very normal. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and it took me a few minutes to realize and process that there is not a single girl in the place. They're all men. <laughs> and I'm looking around, oh, geez, this is kind of interesting. Now, I've never really been a person that condemned other people, uh, gay people, but I had been taught that there's something wrong with gay people. They're sinners and whatnot. Yeah. So just kind of a shocker that I was stunned. Geez, what do I do? And after a couple of dances, I told the girl I was with, I says, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are no other women in this place. <laughs> we might want to go to the other dance place we are recommended. So that was my first gay bar. That was funny. awesome. As we walked out, there were two girls walking in and I stopped them to warn them. <laughs> And I said, you, you, you may not know this, but there are only men in that club. There are no women. I think it's a gay bar. And they said, we know and we love it here because we feel so safe. It's going to hit on us. And I thought, well, how interesting. Yeah. So when I've thought about you two or thought about coming on this thing, that sentiment registered in my mind that, you know, these are two women I feel safe with. Yeah. I don't worry about that. Of course, I usually don't have to worry about women hitting on me anyway, <laughs> but, but these two women I'm absolutely safe with. Absolutely. So, well, there's my first gay bar and the first lesbian couple I ever met. Oh my well, God, I love it. Do you think that early experience had any bearing uh, years and years and years later? Uh, what did we talk about last episode, Shelley, or it was two, two episodes ago? The policy. Yeah, the policy. The exclusion policy. Yeah. Did you think about that at all when you were viewing the exclusion policy and what that meant? Well, that's on here. We're going to come to the exclusion. Mary's jumping ahead. I know. Well, is that where we get to summer 2014 questioning and compulsive research starts? Or is that something else? My reaction to that would not have had much to do with my first gay bar. Okay. Gotcha. I'm just trying to connect some dots that don't exist. (laughs) A lot of water had gone under the bridge, which I'll share with you when we get there. All right. So what did happen in the summer of 2014? What were you questioning? That's next on your list. Well, I heard some things that I'd never heard of in all my years in the Mormon church. I was about as dedicated Mormon as as there is. Uh, My responsibilities, my calling took precedence over everything else. Mm -hmm. It was number one. And then my family and my job, which is business for myself. So those two things came somewhere way down the list from my calling. So I was super dedicated to that. And I had studied a lot of the church materials, but they're all whitewashed. And I started hearing some things that I'd never heard before. Like what? Well, the race and the priesthood was the very first thing. That was an essay that had come out that uh, the church was at the end of it said the church disavows all previous theories and condemns past, present, and future racism. I'm looking at, wait a minute, theories. Those weren't theories. I was taught those things. I completely believe those things. I completely believe those things right then as I'm reading what they're condemning or what they're disavowing. So that was the first thing. And then all the other things came up. And obviously the essays brought up a whole bunch of those issues. Then I started buying books and hiding the books and not letting anybody know that I was reading these books. And Were you, I'm going to throw this in there, when you were starting to discover there might be some things there that you were kind of iffy with, was it a feeling of being a little scared, like, uh-oh, or were you then determined to go down, or were you like, I'm going to find out truth? What was your emotional state, I guess, at the time? Well, it took... Not very long, I don't know if it was days or a couple of weeks, before I started to get angry. Hmm. That I was taught things that were false. I was taught these theories. They were doctrine, okay? I was taught these things, and now they're saying they've disavowed them, 
And then all these other things that I'm learning, I'm thinking, I've been in this church my entire life. I've dedicated my life to it. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of hours away from my family, away from earning a living. And I felt betrayed. Mm. Uh, I can remember a few months after I started studying all this stuff, they had a lesson on free agency. Okay, so free agency, how many lessons do we have on that? What a beautiful concept. And I sat there fuming in my priesthood meeting. I don't think I said anything, but fuming that as they're talking about this beautiful concept in my head, you stole my free agency from me. You presented something that wasn't true or half true and left out all this other crap that I should have known so that I went when I was making my decisions about where to spend my time and money. Yeah, you you realize that you wouldn't have made those same choices had you been given all of the information. And that does bring up a lot of anger. That's an entire life of being obedient to something that has covered things up. And you know, gosh, if I would have known all that, I wouldn't have made those choices. And I can't go back on that now. Well, I may have made some of the same choices. Sure. It may have not changed the choices, but I sure wish I'd had that information so that I could. I can't go back and say what choice I would have made. That's true. Yep. But ultimately, my choice after I went through all this was to stay in the church Mm -hmm. because that's where my family was. That's where my community was. There were good things in the church. I was involved with a responsibility that I really liked. Mm. back then. But I, I still wish I'd known those things. So, so yeah, I was kind of angry. Why isn't the church more forthcoming? Well, you'd have to ask the church. Time for President <laughs> Nelson to be on here, Mary. So you can ask that kind We're of having question. him on next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure hope he wears his eight pack. Oh my <laughs> I <do> God. <laughs> Actually, mm, I'd, but I'd rather he keep his shirt on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I, I don't know why they have. I think it's because these are embarrassing things. Sure, yeah. These are things that make you question. And so they want to hide them or not just make you question. They're dirty, disgusting things. Why, like the children thing, uh, why would they want it known that they take children behind closed doors? And it's okay to ask a little girl, do you masturbate? Yeah. Mm. Do you masturbate with your panties on or off? Mm. How many fingers do you use to masturbate? Mm. This is so gross and disgusting. You can see why they would want to hide that. Outside of the church, that would put someone in prison if they were speaking to a little girl in such a way. You know, there would be police involved. Yeah, it's predatory behavior and questioning. So you were a bishop though, right, Sam? Yeah. But at that time, I'm assuming you didn't ask those questions. Was that not really... What was going on then? Yeah, was it part of your worthiness interview process? Okay, when I grew up, there was, and we're jumping ahead again. Yeah, I know. Sorry. We do this a lot. (laughs) In case you hadn't noticed. (laughs) So um, when I was growing up, I was never asked any of these questions. I may have been asked if I'd lived the law of chastity, probably was, but since that was and I lived the law of chastity, whatever the hell that means. Right. Does that mean you're having a thought about sex? Is that against the law of chastity? Well, you know what? I was taught it kind of was. Mm-hmm. You don't want to think about sex. Um, you got a three-second rule. After three seconds, it's got to be out of your head. <laughs> wow. But when I was being raised, I those I don't remember those questions. And regular worthiness interviews, I don't. I think they were just coming into vogue or starting to come into the culture of the okay. church. So it wasn't part of my growing up. When I became bishop, well, I'm kind of going to follow what I experienced as a kid. There's no way it ever, the thought ever came into my mind to ask a child or a 16-year-old girl or a 17-year-old boy, do you masturbate? Who would ever think of asking their friend that question or anybody that question? And their thought never came to my mind. So I was totally oblivious to what was going on in many other places Mm -hmm. in uh, in the world with yeah. regards to explicit questions. So who started it? Who started asking that stuff? Yeah, I know you're going to ask that question to President Nelson. That's another That's Nelson next week. That's next week. <laughs> well, apparently they started in the 60s with these interviews. And uh, I've heard it, a researcher say that the church was responding to the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s and felt like they needed to be more explicit when they started talking to kids about sex. So I, I think, I, I really don't know the answer to that question, even though I've been so involved in this. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, I know we were jumping around and we we're getting ahead. Do you want to back up and talk about some of these other things on your list? Or you want to just stay on this train of thought? I'll do whatever the interview wants. All right. Let's do the list. I love the list. You love the list? It's very organized. And then we can jump around and... All right. Well, the questioning and compulsive research started in 2014. You want to elaborate, Sam? Okay. So I was reading literally four, five, six hours every single day. And it usually started at 10 o'clock at night when I got in bed and went on from there. Uh, It was a compulsive thing to learn what I was involved in. I eventually decided to stay in the church. I felt like I could follow Jesus Christ in the Church of Jesus Christ. Turns out that's pretty hard to do, but (laughs) I figured I'd give that a try. Uh, I did have a Temple Recommend interview in 2015. I do that every two years. And one of the questions is, do you affiliate with or support any groups that disagree with the church or something Mm -hmm. like that? And I said, yes, I support gay marriage. Now, gay marriage was not legal yet. Right. The Supreme Court hadn't weighed in yet, but I, I said I support gay marriage. And we talked about it, and the good for the stake president, he decided to grant me the uh, temple recommend, even though I support it. I wasn't saying we should have gay people getting married in the temple. Okay. Uh, I was just saying I'm not a, a opposed to that. I think it should be the law. And it was just a few months later. Yeah, you kind of um, won that Bishop Rick roulette round because I know that my bishop, I actually asked him back when I was still a true believer, I was like, so what do you say when someone comes in and they think that gay people should be allowed to get married? And he said, well, we're going to have an issue. We're going to have to, I don't want to give them a recommend. So it's just really depends on your bishop. So it's so by chance, you know? Well, my interview for my recommend on the ward level is for the council. And I didn't tell him that. I just answered yes to all the questions or no, whatever the right answer yeah. was. And but with the state president, uh, we'd already been discussing some things with regards to people that were struggling in the church. And I was trying to do a support group for them. And so I felt like I, I wanted to be more open with him and put mm-hmm. that on the table. But I support gay marriage. But I did win the lottery then. I kind of lost the lottery with the same guy two years, three years later. Mm -hmm. You can't win them all, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) What were some of the books you were reading starting at 10 o'clock at night? Well, I used to have them stack up here in my office, but like Fawn Brody's book, No Man Knows My History, Mm -hmm. they're all historic books about the church history that were not written by a church Historians. So anti Mormon literature. <laughs> yeah, well, it was unwhitewashed literature. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah. Interesting. You want to go to November 15th? Let's do it. So I decided to stay in the church, but then November 5th, 2015, a policy was re- uh, leaked where gay couples were now going to be called apostates and their children could not be blessed or baptized or do any of the benchmarks in the Mormon church until they were 18. And at 18, they had to disavow their lifestyle of their parents. When I heard that, I was on my way to work. When I heard that, I pulled over to the side of the road. Jesus is going to bring you up the same emotion. Let it out. Let it out, Sam. It's a safe space. I was angry. I was crying. I was sad. I just could not believe that my church that had lied to me for all these years, that has a ton of good people in it, but my church was doing something despicable like this. Mm -hmm. I pulled over, processed it, and then I drove to the department store. I bought boxers. I took (laughs) off my garments, bought boxers for the first time in 40 years, (laughs) or 45 years since I was a teenager, and and decided I am leaving. Wow. Wow. I'm going to stay in this church. So that night, my wife found out I didn't have garments on. <laughs> Shelly can probably relate to this. Mary, you can't relate this to this at all. No. But for somebody to take off their garments, it is a gigantic shocker. Oh, okay. Yeah. There is something way wrong with that yes. person. Yep. Wow. Her husband, it's no longer in his garments. So I explained it. We talked divorce that night. Oh, I didn't wow. want divorce, but she brought up divorce. And because she was so shocked by it, well, there's no way I was going to let my underwear stand between me and my wife. Right. So I put my garments back on. I decided I'm staying in the church. I'm going to do whatever I need to. I can make that sacrifice of boxers versus 
the wonderful magical Mormon garments. They're so sexy, <laughs> by the way. I, I should I should borrow a pair from a Mormon friend and let Mary check me out in them. They're so sexy. And at that time, I established my boxer drawer at the office. So I didn't want to have the boxers at my house, so I brought them up to my office. Wait a minute. So did you come to work? Take off your garments and put on your boxers for just the day? No. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I did wear my boxers for, if I was had my shorts on, I'm going to wear my boxers. If I went on a trip, I got the boxers right here. I'm going to take in my suitcase. Okay. And once the excommunication happened, actually, even before the excommunication happened, I had, no, I hadn't quit. Well, I was still wearing um, garments, but once the excommunication happened, I took the boxers home, except for the two pair I still have up here. <laughs> They're your backups. And your wife eventually got used to it. She did. So can I say something really quickly? Please do. I want to say to Sam, I think it's so telling about the person that you are in that the policy upset you so much that you're willing to just say, I'm done with all. Because you're not gay. Right. There's so many people within the Mormon church that I've had experience with, if it doesn't affect them, they don't care. Like, well, so what? I don't know any gay people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I don't I don't know any black people who were affected by the priesthood ban. You know, they just want to say, if it's nothing to do with me, why should I care? But you care about people outside of yourself. And that's beautiful that you would go through so much for people that aren't you, you know? Well, there's probably a backstory there that you might want to know. So this wasn't my first experience with being concerned about gay people. When I first moved to Houston after graduating from BYU, uh, the church wasn't as large as it is here in Houston. And now there was no singles wards, um, but there was a small group of singles. So we did stuff together. And one of the fellows in that group became my best friend. And one night we drive back, um, dropping him off at his apartment. He said, Sam, I'd like to talk to you for just a minute before I get out of the car. And he said this, Sam, I want you to know that I love you. Now, Mary and Shelly, I love you guys. Now, I can say that, and it is a fine thing to say. It doesn't have anything behind it, but his wording, the signals he was sending with his voice and his eyes, it was, I love you as a, he was gay. And I did not know that until right then. And it didn't turn me off. It didn't cause me to judge him. It caused me to realize, okay, this is who my friend is. And I didn't know that. And so we had a really long discussion about his experience. He was a return missionary and very active in the church. So that was my first experience. He ended up getting married Mm -hmm. and I saw all the terrible things. He went through conversion therapy. He was working for the church when he was going through all this conversion therapy. People knew that he was gay and struggling with it. So his kids were shunned. It just, he Mm. went through a bad experience. That's terrible. My best friend in high school, he disappeared after college where nobody could get a hold of him. Really quality guy, um, smart, successful, but he just kind of disappeared from it. Nobody knew how to get a hold of him. Well, it turned out he was gay Mm. and he did not want to let any of his Mormon friends know. And so didn't know how to deal with it. We all lost contact. I managed to get in contact with him few years before this. And I found out he was gay and found a way to get in touch with him. I made up some fake trip to go to California. I said, I got business there, Greg. I'd like to come visit with you. I want to come see you. Mm -hmm. So I got to his house, rang the doorbell. He opens the door and doesn't invite me in. He says, Sam, before we go any further, I need to tell you that I am gay. Well, okay. I already knew that. I put my arms around him and says, Greg, I know that and I love you, period. So there's my two of my best friends turned out that they were gay and I didn't know that. And then we discussed all the things that he went through. He hated the church at that point because of Prop 8. Yes. I didn't heard of Prop 8. Right. Where was I in the world? I mm-hmm. was in Texas. I'd never heard of what had gone yeah, on. you were in California. California, yeah. Nor paying attention to that kind of thing. And uh, so... We reconnected and have a great relationship to this day. And I've had other experiences like that where a good friend, like one of the counselors in my bishopric, mm-hmm. turns out he disappeared a few years after we were released from our callings. And I finally caught up with him and started hearing rumors he was gay, caught up with him. And this is about a year after my faith transition. So we were able to relate really well together because he was gone from the church and gay and uh, a wonderful, wonderful man. 
and there's some other ones that I'm forgetting, but yeah. before this thing happened, in my head, I'm thinking, I know these people, these were my good friends. Yeah, right. And when I found out they're gay, probably bonded me closer to them. And, uh, and now they're doing this to them. Gotcha. Mm. It's horrendous. That's got to help to actually have personal experiences knowing someone. Yeah. It's easy yeah, to condemn a group you don't know. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's keep going down the list. Okay. So, so now, once this thing happened and I decided to come back to church, I left the church for one whole day. Mm-hmm. I came back to church with my garments on. But that day I decided from now on, I am going to vote opposed at every single conference that the church has. So will you explain that? Because I mentioned that to Mary and she's like, what do you mean vote opposed? She doesn't know what that is. So explain to a never Mormon, what does voting opposed mean? In the early revelations of the church that is in our scriptures, Joseph Smith, there's a direct commandment from Jesus Christ to conduct the church by common consent, which means that all revelations, policies, major decisions, and scriptures are to be accepted or rejected by common consent, by presenting it in the meeting and people are either raising their hand and saying, yeah, I'm for that, or opposing it. So it was a kind of like it wasn't a democracy because the people don't present what is going to be presented and voted on, but they have the option to vote it up or vote it down. Okay. The early church, there were many things that were voted down. You may not know this, Shelley, but the um, top leadership of the church, they're paid. Mm-hmm. We've been taught all these years, we have no paid clergy. Well, they're paid. They're paid big bucks. Right. Oh, yeah. The, the church leaders decided we need a salary. They put it up for a vote. The membership voted it down in common consent. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Well, we've lost all that common consent stuff, but so we have five conferences a year where you can vote, where things are, where the leadership is presented. Do you support President Nelson and the apostles and others, or your bishop or your stake president? They're all presented. And from that day forward, I decided I'm going to vote opposed. And you never see anybody vote, vote opposed. I, in my entire life, I've never seen anyone vote opposed in my 40 years of going to Mormon church services and general conference, take conference. Never. Yeah. So I view this supposed revelation, hateful revelation mm-hmm. towards gay people, that is supposed to be presented. So I'm voting against the apostles, against the president of the church, against the general authorities, because they're not putting this stuff to up for a vote. Right. And I'm voting against that. Right. So um, I voted opposed at every conference. Good for you. Until my excommunication. What was the reaction from friends, family, anyone who saw you voting opposed? Were they like, oh, there goes Brother Young again? Well, I think people don't like to talk about stuff like that. (laughs) It is so true. Oh, nobody brought it up. There you go. I sent a letter to the stake president and the bishop every time saying, here's the things I opposed to. And initially it was, I'm opposed to this gay policy and that we're not using common consent. Mm -hmm. Next conference... I added like five or six other things, one of them being the, the interviews with children. But I didn't know how yeah. bad the interviews were. I was just looking at, oh, good to take the kids behind closed doors right. and ask about masturbation. Right. I had heard that was happening. I added it to my list. Anyway, so yeah, I started voting opposed. And that's something you do not see. I voted in stake, ward. I mean, ward, I <laughs> members that are there in the stake. Mm-hmm. And general conference, that was quite a thing to go to general conference and stand up. I managed to get three tickets, so I brought two other people. And by the way, those two other people, mm-hmm. one is a transgender youth, and the other, she said, LGBTQIA. Right. I said, tell me what the QIA is. And she did, and she got to the A, and A is, do you know what A is? I don't even think I know what IA is. What? Look, I'm brand I mean, new to this whole lesbian thing. It could be artificial intelligence if you switch it to AI. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> a is asexual. Asexual. Okay. That, was my, that was my guess in my oh, head. intersex, no? I intersex. Okay. Intersex, okay. asexual, gotcha. So asexual, I looked at her and said, asexual? Is there anybody that's asexual? That's really asexual? Can that be a thing? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, yes, I'm asexual. <laughs> there you go. Then there is. <laughs> How wonderful the people about a diverse group. Yep. Yeah. And there's pansexual, right? Uh-huh. There's other ones. There's, there's lots. There are other ones. We're, lear- there. we're learning. Learning for sure. So 
Wait a minute. You took a trans person to general conference. I did. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I love it. Sounds like a snooze fest. I don't know. General I tried to watch some of it. It looked really boring. <laughs> we would have made your experience more interesting because we stood up and shouted, opposed. Okay, nobody is going to see you raise your hand. Yeah, you got to say something. Nice. 20,000 people raising their hands in favor mm-hmm. and three people standing up and shouting opposed. That's fantastic. So I, I cherish that experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, my last three years in the church voting opposed. I remember reactions from my family when they saw people voting opposed in general conference because you can hear them yell opposed when you're watching it on TV. And their reactions were, oh, this is not the time or the place. These people just, if you just move on, go on and leave, keep your mouth shut. And then you want to say, well, yeah, uh, common consent. We, this is actually the place where we should be saying opposed. This is the place. They're always saying it's not the right time and not the right place. This is supposed to be a, a gathering of spirituality. Like, no, you're asking us to vote, so shouldn't we be allowed to vote? It is a commandment in the scriptures, if you're concerned about commandments at all, <laughs> that supposedly says from Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like at some point Mormonism changed from what Joseph Smith envisioned to what it is now. Well, and some of those changes are really good. It's a good thing we don't have polygamy anymore. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, it continues to change. The church is not the same church that I grew up in. Yeah. 50 years from now, it'll be completely different from what it is today. It will move with society's norms just uh, decades behind society. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's keep going down okay. the list. Okay. So we talked about April 2016, right? And mm-hmm. then start blogging about common consent. So you started a blog. Yep. I started a blog and... I was blogging mostly about common consent and LGBT. Um, and I didn't have the term LGBT yet. It was gay people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I probably didn't feel comfortable yet saying lesbians. But now I love that. <laughs> it's my favorite word. <laughs> Sometimes we say lesbo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, it's, it's a fine word for me to use, but I still have in my head, I hope I'm not offending them by using the word lesbian. No, no, we're you, good. You would have to work really hard to offend me, actually, about just about anything. That's um, true no. about well, I tried really hard at the beginning. To offend her? I was trying to offend you there. <laughs> All you did was turn me on. six-pack. All I you wish did we... was make me question my sexuality. Really? With his uh, plastic six-pack? <laughs> no, I wish we did have video going to be able to see that. Oh, I took a picture. <laughs> okay, we'll have to post that. <laughs> now, what happened to plastic eight-pack? Oh, yeah, it did kind of look like an aid pack. You're kind of looking like the church, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) You're changing. Changing with the whims. We didn't get to vote on that change, Mary. No, that's true. (laughs) Because I would have opposed it. (laughs) (laughs) So let's uh, take a short break and then come right back to the interview. What do you think, Shelly? I love it. Okay, be right back. And we're back. Okay, so you started feeling like you got to do something. You started a blog, right? Sam, tell us about what happened in your brain. What what were your intentions? So the blog, I wanted to start talking about common consent. But frankly, back then, I was nervous to let anybody know I voted opposed. When I started the blog, I'd already voted opposed once. But nobody knew that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't ready to let anybody know that yet. I was building up to that. Let me talk about common consent for a few months and work into it. And then eventually talk Mm -hmm. about that I voted opposed. Because my first opposed vote was in general conference that was broadcast to the stake center. Well, nobody goes to the stake centers anymore. There were uh, 16 people there besides myself. 12 were missionaries. They saw somebody vote opposed for the first time in their whole life. And then there were four other people there. So that was the reason I started the blog, was to introduce common consent, build up to that. But I'm voting against what we're doing to gay people. And so yeah. I, I want to start talking about that, too. And so, yes, I have a blog with the catchy name. It's more catchy. You know, Latter-day Lesbians. Mary. She's brilliant. Where did you come up with that? I've been in marketing a long okay, time. Okay, Mary. Latter-day <laughs> Lesbians. You probably okay. ought to follow my good sense in marketing. My blog is called... Invisibles Cubit. If you do anything with invisible or invisibles or invisibility Cubit, it comes up. Um, okay, let's keep going down the list. June 17th, 2016, in response to the Orlando gay nightclub shooting, what did you do? So this was a horrific event. 
where I think it was like the largest yeah. mass shooting that had happened up to that point in U.S. history. And it was a gay nightclub. And there were various organizations that were churches that were sponsoring prayer vigils for this. And uh, I decided, what the heck? I mean, this is right up my alley. You must have been the only one in the Mormon church doing a, a prayer vigil for gays. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure it was the only Mormon support <laughs> vigil. And uh, it was real weird. Uh, I, I learned what the gay agenda is, by the way, that you guys mm-hmm. can't fool me. I know you have an agenda. To be fabulous. to my bishop and stake president saying i'd like to hold a prayer vigil and can we use the church and and you don't want to wait weeks for this to happen we held it not like five or six days afterwards but uh, i immediately started talking to them can we use the church well no response no response well if we can't use the church can we use the parking lot no response no response finally i reached out to somebody that has some power And the state president responded to me and basically said that we can't have access to anything and then sent out an email that he copied me on to all the bishops. And now I've got mine on the schedule. Okay, I've got on the schedule. I just didn't have a place. But once he told me no, I went and got a place. But he sent an email out to all the bishops in the stake saying that if anybody wants to go to a prayer vigil, there's one being held at the mess of this church, this church, that. But what? I got one. We've got a Mormon one. And you're sending, (laughs) if anybody can go someplace else, we want nothing to do with those gay people. So I started trying to get down to why in the world are we doing this? And somebody has got a very substantial connection with the general authority. Finally, wrote Mm -hmm. back and said, Uh it's because of the gay agenda. They have an agenda. And if we give anything on this, even a prayer vigil, it advances the gay agenda. And I'm looking at, well, what's the gay agenda? <laughs> so then I started asking my gay friends, what's the gay agenda? What's well, a made up, stupid, idiotic thing that nobody knows what it is. Before I came out, I knew, understood the gay agenda to be that we were trying to ruin the traditional family. Yeah, like, well, what? Yeah. <laughs> How <laughs> do we do that? that? Well, I don't know. I keep trying and it's not working because I don't know how to do it. Yeah, what would that entail? Is that why I'm on here? Shelly, did you invite me? <laughs> I did. I think you need to look make my deeper marriage inside of your feelings. I think, I think we're out to recruit people. Um, is that yeah, what it is? That's what it is. You know, there is this common belief with the old school Mormons that gay people recruit young, straight teenagers and make them gay. Which is ridiculous. Well, we don't ask them inappropriate questions like, do they masturbate? And how many fingers do they use? <laughs> Good I've point. I've never done that. I never have either. Good Lord. Jeez. Those men who ask those questions should be ashamed of themselves. Yep. I don't care what stake president said you needed to ask it. You should say, no, I'm not going to ask it. No. Exactly. I was never told to ask explicit told to ask about masturbation. I don't know what I would have said. I hope I wouldn't have been obedient enough that I'd say, oh, yes, I will ask the girls how many fingers they use. Yeah. I hope there are more people like you, Sam, that would also say, no, that doesn't sound right. I'm not going to do that. Um, but before we get there, did you get to have your Mormon prayer vigil? My Mormon prayer vigil supporting the LGBT community? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we have three Ex uh, uh, former bishops, nice. me being one. We had one sitting bishop that came. We only had one gay person that came. That wow. he was the executive secretary in his ward, which is pretty cool. But he was also married, of course. Yeah, it was such a wonderful spiritual event. Um, yeah, um, it was so great. Why it was great. Don't more Mormons think like you, Mary? You keep <laughs> confusing me with President Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't had him on yet. <laughs> He's not coming on till next week. Okay. Well, here's the deal. I think there are a number of Mormons, probably a lot of Mormons, that think the way I do in a lot of things. But we have a culture that I did was not that familiar with. We have a culture yeah. that it is scary to say anything yeah. beyond the norm. You don't rock the boat because there's repercussions. Yeah. But I had rocked the boat before, but I rocked it as a total 100% believer. One time when I was bishop, we had a woman that was baptized. She was in a wheelchair, and she came to church once. Then she was baptized. And the next Sunday, she came to church, and she said, Bishop, 
I don't think I can come to church anymore. Now, I was devastated. Why can't you come to church? She said, well, you have no handicapped bathrooms. For me to be here for three hours, I don't trust myself. I'm afraid that an accident is going to happen. So she could come into church. We had another fellow in the other ward that was also handicapped, but he came on a stretcher. So every Sunday he was brought on a stretcher and talk about him going to a bathroom with no handicap. So I asked, how do you handle this? And he said, well, it takes six men to take him to the bathroom and it's really cumbersome. So I was the agent bishop and and Mary, Mm -mm. since you might not know what that means, that means I was the bishop in charge of the building. There were three wards that met in that building, but I had the responsibility for it. So I said, okay, we got to get a handicap bathroom. Again, I thought it was a no brainer. Right. So I put the request into the stake. Six months go by. And finally, I decided this is crap. Um, when's the next handicapped person going to be baptized? And when are they going to drop the guy on the floor yeah. that six men have to carry into the bathroom? I am the agent bishop. Mm-hmm. I am going to build a handicapped bathroom. So I had a guy in the ward. There was a construction guy come in, gave me an estimate of $16,000. And I said, Barney, great. I'm going to do a fundraiser next week. And we're going to build a bathroom. So I called church headquarters. I didn't call my stake president. I'd already gone for six months and nothing had happened. I called church headquarters and asked for the architecture department or whatever department it was. And I said, I'm not calling for permission. I'm calling to notify you of what I'm doing this coming Sunday. And I told the story I just told you. I said, this Sunday we're doing, I'm announcing a fundraiser and I'm going to remodel a bathroom. The guy said, okay, thanks very much for letting us know. He called me back in a couple hours and said, please, I'd like you to hold off on doing anything. I am going to fly down there next week and we are going to do a handicapped bathroom. So sure enough, that's exactly what what happened. Um, But I think I tended to rock the boat in a number of areas, but it was not against doctrine or policy. It was just, we've got a need here that has to happen. That's a great story. That is a good story. Anyway, Uh, let's fast forward to June of 2017. You discover four daughters. Are these your daughters who were asked sexually explicit questions? Yeah. So it started, a friend of mine had told me that his son was asked sexually explicit questions. I had heard that people were being asked about masturbation. Bishops were asking about masturbation, but I just thought that was wrong. I'm voting against it in conference, but it hadn't become personal yet. So uh, when he told me, and I trusted him. My kids grew up with his son. I asked my children. And four out of the six were asked sexually explicit questions. The first one that I asked, I don't think I'd ever pronounced the word masturbation yeah. in my house before this point. <laughs> we certainly haven't talked about it, and I probably should have. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel uncomfortable talking to girls about it. But anyway, so I asked her, honey, and she was 27 at the time, so she'd been out of young women's for a little less than 10 years. And I asked her, did the bishop ever ask you if you masturbate? She said, yes, dad. Wow. When I was 12, I didn't know what it was. I asked my friends. They didn't know what it was. So I went to the internet. I Googled it. I found masturbation. I found how to do it, what it was, and I found pornography, dad. Wow. Were you ever asked that question again? Yes, all the time for the six years that she was in the young women's. Did you ever lie about it? Yes, dad. Like Mm -hmm. most of the youth lied about it. So here I've got a child that was and whatever trauma she went through for six years, when I was absent, I, I, I trusted what was going on. Yeah. And uh, so she was traumatized. She was introduced to pornography. She was introduced to things without support or understanding. She, she was being made to feel like she had to lie, too, because that's a very embarrassing thing. And She was forced yeah. to lie, like so many kids end up lying. When I found that out, I mean, I went to bat for the handicapped lady. <clears throat> that uh, struggle to go to the bathroom without a handicapped toilet. That's right. Yeah. There's no way I'm not going to go to bed for my kids. Well, and she also discovered porn as a 12-year-old, and that might have never happened, or yep. at least not till gosh, years and years and years later, if it weren't for this line of questioning. Yeah. I remember asking my two boys after um, Brent and I left the church. They were probably 15 and 13, and I asked them, had they ever been asked by the bishop if they masturbated? And they told me yes. And I just said, I am so sorry that I trusted 
the bishop of the ward to be appropriate with you. He never should have asked you those things. You will never have to go through anything like that again. And I'm so sorry. Good for you. It's just shocking. And you're like, what? And all you can do at that point is apologize to your child (laughs) and then try to stop it from happening to other children, which is what you're doing. Yep. Yep. I don't think that should be asked of anyone, no matter your age, but it's so much worse for children. They're innocent and they don't even know. And then when they have to find out what it is, because they are like, well, I don't want to lie to my bishop. Then they discover it, and there's no adult there to talk to them or make them feel okay, and then they start lying about it, and then they feel like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm addicted to masturbation or to porn, and then the suicidal thoughts. I have a good friend, actually, whose child became suicidal by age 16 purely because he had been lying to his bishop for years because he masturbated. Just destroyed his self-esteem. Yeah, there's all kinds of damage. Self-loathing. Extremely common outcome of this. And then the shame Mm -hmm. that you wrap around sex. Your mind is just starting to think about sex. Your sexuality is not formed yet. Your views of sexuality. But now you are wrapping shame around that sexuality. And so many people, it takes decades. It haunts them into their marriage, into the marriage relationships, into the marriage bed. You mentioned the suicide. So I've collected well over a thousand stories that I've published several thousand besides that, but in, the, in the, the, the stories on the website, over half of them say that they started thinking about suicide. Yeah. We're doing this to our, we, we have a, yeah. the Mormon church has a suicide problem in the church. I mean, suicide's growing for kids across the country, but in Utah, it's a lot bigger growth and it's, it's just huge amongst the kids. And yet we don't care Hey, here's an outcome. Kids start thinking about suicide mm-hmm. when we shame yeah. them with regards to sex. Yeah. Yeah. It's infuriating. I mean, well, we'll get we'll get this to this in a minute, but while I'm thinking of it, while you were being excommunicated and everything, I think it was not long after in general confidence or whatever, they were talking about this huge revelation that don't call the church by Mormon anymore. And this is this big revelation. And I'm thinking does God really care so little about the children that he's telling the prophet what the name of the church should be and not telling him, stop these interviews? You know? Well, that, that's true. That does kind of seem like a shallow relationship with your creator if yeah. that's the conversation you're having. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who cares? Fuck, Fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. Okay, but give me the GD word again. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck that shit. That's what I want to say right there, that really God cares about Mormon, the word Mormon, and he doesn't care about kids committing suicide, doesn't care about the kids starting to think about suicide. That is the silly, stupid, puny, dinky, nothing revelation that God's going to give is just silly. Thank you for excommunicating (laughs) me from that kind of crap. It it blows my mind that people will still insist that the prophet speaks for God. All that can make me think is, your God sucks ass. Well, he's a petty, shallow (laughs) asshole. Yeah, let the kids kill themselves. But if you say Mormon, that's a win for Satan. Like, how do current Mormons not process this? Mind-boggling. So we can chuckle at it, find it comical. It's so sad. It is. But then you have the level of the damage that's being ignored. Well, the good news is here today, Sam, is you are doing something about it. Let's talk about what that is. Okay. Hey, well, thanks for that introduction. First of all, we did a ton last year and accomplished an awful lot. Uh, In fact, personally, I lost 35 pounds. Yeah, I want to hear more about the hunger fast. I I gained 40 pounds back. (laughs) (laughs) Found it and then some. Okay, so we did a ton of stuff last year. It has done. It has saved children um, from a couple standpoints. Number one, the church did make a change. It was a minor change. They said, if the child desires, the leader may allow a second adult to be in that room. If the child desires. So they put the protection on the child. They don't understand what the hell is going on. The parents normally don't understand all the damage that can be done to the kids. Yeah, why would the child? No. Okay, you can have somebody else in that room. That's good. So parents say, look, no interviews one-on-one. It's hard for the bishop to contest that. But that's that's a minority of the interviews. But still, there are interviews that are happening where two people are present. But the big thing, it's raised a lot of awareness. So many parents are saying, okay, 
no, this is not going to happen to my kid. There have been people who have taken their children out of church. There have been people, active members, that have no interviews yeah. with my child. Yeah. Uh, so, it, but again, this is the minority. This, but at least it has raised awareness that some changes are going to be made. Okay, so this year we've got some amazing things planned. We've expanded it from protect LDS children to protect every child. I love mm. it. We are not the only church that has this issue. Yeah, we're probably the only church. Where we're going to take a girl behind closed doors and talk to her about the makeout session and ask her, "Did you get wet?" Mm. God damn it. That's what I want to say. How can we tolerate that? Why isn't every leader and parent calling that out and saying, you cannot ever ask those kind of pornographic questions. Ever, ever. Not with shame and by some guy that is totally untrained. It's horrifying. Okay, but so we're the only church that I know of that does that. Every six months, pulls a child in and talks to him about sex. And they are mandated, by the way, to talk to him about sex. They are told to ask every child, do you live the law chastity that is a sex question yes it is you don't know what the kid's thinking when that question is asked like i said before is it geez i thought about sex the other day all kids are going to think about sex the vast majority are going to think about sex and they're going to wrap shame around that right there just by asking that question oh yeah if you have been sexually abused and i heard this over and over by kids and it's the stories are in the book that were sexually abused and the bishop asked them the question are you living the law of chastity well, the kid knows he's not or thinks he's not because he's having sex with some older guy and has for the last several years, but they can't say anything about it. They, right. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they can't say anything about it, but you've just shamed them, made them lie about taking the trauma they're already experiencing to a whole new level that they're now lying to God about mm. because they won't as a as a child because I was I was molested when I was a sexually molested and sorry to hear that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't say anything until I was in my twenties because yeah. at that age the person who was doing it was older than me. I looked up to him. You know, I I sort of felt like it was wrong, but at the same time I didn't want to cause problems. I didn't want him to be in trouble. I was embarrassed I didn't have a relationship with my parents where we would even talk about sex. And so I was never going to say anything. And since I didn't say anything, then in my mind, I was guilty of something, you know? Yeah. So then when you go into these interviews and they're asking, do you live the law of chastity inside? I, I know I'm not because I've, I had that thing happen to me, but I'm sure not going to say anything about it. So I say, yes, absolutely. And now I'm a liar. I've lied to God's servant. It's like I lied to God. And that may have been really traumatizing for you. It may not have been. What I know is for many kids, it's super traumatizing. Right. Where they start thinking about how horrible a person they are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we're the only ones that I know of that do this. But the problem with protecting predators, the problem with having predators, the problem with having sexual abuse happen in the church and being facilitated by the church because there aren't good policies. I mean, that happens all over the place. Mm -hmm. So we want to raise the awareness to the world, not just into the Mormon church. Right. Every parent to know that, you know what, I'm going to protect my kid. And whatever organization I participate in, I am going to require them to have strong child protection policies. Absolutely. Well, and religion gives a lot of people, in the case of Mormonism, certainly in Catholicism, a lot of men, a lot of power. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. So I think spreading the word, and I saw your note that uh, just, what, yesterday or the day before, that SNAP just joined this coalition to protect every child, right? Yes. Isn't that recent? Yeah, tell us about that. Okay, so first of all, this year, we've got a petition out to protect every child, and it lists the minimum standards that we're calling for in every organization. Number two, we have an activity that we're encouraging people to participate in. This is kind of a rallying a thing that everybody can do. Climb a mountain, save a child. And we're going to climb a mountain together. We are. I we're going to go together. Wait. May 5th, right? Or is it May 4th? May 5th. Yeah. May 5th. Mayo. Oh, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to stand for something. It's been so long since I... You do every day, Shelly. Shit, shit, you're right. It's been so long since I did something with Sam. There you go. 
I'm excited. I'm excited too, Shelly and Mary. So we're asked to climb a mountain, post a flag, unfurl a flag that says protect every child, take a picture, and then share that picture. And then all this leads up to the culmination of taking these banners to the streets of Salt Lake City and marching for the children. You know, gay rights, good for the gay community. They have pride parades all over the place, marching for the rights of gay people. We have women marching for women, veterans for veterans. Our kids can't march for themselves. Yeah, you're right. But this will be the first march I know of where we are marching big time for the children to raise awareness. So we're asking people, come to this march if you can. Everybody can climb a mountain or a hill or your own driveway and post a flag and take a picture of it and love it. post that around. What's the date of the march? The march is October 5th. So if there's any Mormons listening, that is the first day of General Conference. So we are going to be competing in the streets of Salt Lake City. With we're going to be winning. It's going to yeah. be good. And uh, we're working towards, I have wanted to form a coalition. We started reaching out yesterday or two days ago. And we had our first response. Actually, we've had other responses that are really positive, but SNAP immediately jumped on this. And they are a huge organization that is very well known uh, for reaching out to find ways to protect children and raise awareness. So we we are now officially a coalition. That's great. And SNAP stands for Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Uh Everyone is not aware. Yeah. Oh, also, how do people get involved, Sam? Well, um, there are some easy things that you can do. One, sign the petition. If you go to the internet and go to protecteverychild.com, you can find the uh, petition there. You click on it, go to the petition, sign the petition. So that's a really easy thing that anybody, everybody can do. You know, there ought to be hundreds of millions of signatures on that thing. Yeah, why would you not sign that? I'll sign it. I'm going to sign it right after this. I already signed it. See, she's always one-upping me. Every time. (laughs) Kelly, did you sign the one on change.org or the original one I released? I don't know, but I will check and sign whichever one still needs to be signed. Okay, good. So we moved our platform. I started off in the old platform I was using, and we got about 1,500 signatures pretty quick, but there are reasons to move it to this change.org. So it's kind of starting over again. Anyway, sign the petition. That's easy. Two, post a flag, take a picture of a flag and share it wherever you can share it. Talk about it with your friends. Show the flag with your friends or the poster or whatever you post. And by the way, you can buy flags. Homemade flags are wonderful. I love those. But if somebody doesn't have the um, want to make their own flag, you can buy a flag on that protecteverychild.com. Okay, but post a flag, climb a mountain, save a child. And then if you can, come to Salt Lake City. Be a part of the 5,000 people that is my goal. We had a thousand people last year. It was a magical, amazing event. The press covered it. We had national and international news, but we need more press than we got that time. Okay. Well, we can spread the word and we will put any information like that on our website as well. We'll have that up. And that is for October 5th of 2019. In Salt Lake City. That's correct. Mark your calendar, everybody. Mm-hmm. I think we might need a road trip, Shelley. I say yes. I yeah, love I, it. Would, I would love. I would love to go. <laughs> okay, it's a date. I'm going to wear my uh, Latter Day Lesbian T-shirt. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I want to say, Sam. You know, my kids are no longer in the church, so they are protected from that ugliness. But I have nieces and nephews who are still being raised in it. So thank you for starting such an effort to protect children, including my nieces and nephews. That's very touching to me, and it means a lot. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I've got grandchildren. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So have we reached the end of our interview? Oh, well, I do have another question. Okay. What does spirituality look like for you now that you've been excommunicated? That's a great question. You don't have to go to President Nelson for that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still going to ask him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so spirituality, that's been something that has kind of been in the clouds before. What does that mean? Am I spiritual? He's spiritual. They're spiritual. So it's one of those concepts that I avoided saying that word because I really didn't have a connection to it because it was didn't have a good enough definition for me. Okay. But after going through my faith transition, I've got my definition of spirit. Okay. Let's hear it. So Jesus Christ taught a parable that's entitled the sheep and the goats. 
And in it, a group of people came to him that uh, were expected to get into heaven. And Christ said, well, I don't know you. I've never known you. So wait a minute. We did all the right things. And he said, well, nope. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was sick, you didn't visit me. You didn't come visit me in prison. And they said, well, we never knew you were in any of those places. And he simply said, like, you don't know me. And then he turned to a group of people and said, but you get into heaven because when I was naked, and he went through the list, Mm -hmm. and they said, well, we don't remember ever doing that. He said, when you've done it unto the least of these, Mm -hmm. you've done it unto me. So that is what I connect to spirituality. Christ taught in that parable, how do you connect with God? Well, you don't connect with God by talking about God and saying you know God. You connect with God by interacting with those on the margins, those that are needy, those that are vulnerable. And who did Christ hang out with? He hung out with the vulnerable in society, the outcast in society. There's my definition of spirituality. I feel a spiritual connection when I am with somebody that's needy. And you can't always assess the need from the outside. But when you start talking to somebody, or if I don't say a word and somebody talks for an hour, I know they're needy. I know Mm. they needed to express and share whatever it was that was inside of them. So I connect through the hungry, the homeless, the naked, and so on. So that's how I view spirituality. That's a great answer. Thank you. I love it. It has been such a pleasure having you on our podcast, Sam. We're so happy that you joined us. Maybe we can have you on again sometime. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. Yeah, I think I maybe we should plan it again so we can tell people all the progress that this movement's made because it's clearly making some waves. So yeah. awesome. Hey, well, looking forward to seeing you guys in a couple of weeks. And thank you. Yeah, yeah. can't wait. All right. Thanks thank for you coming so much, on, Sam. Sam. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll talk soon. So that was amazing. Loved it. What was your favorite part? Can you think of a one part in particular that you loved? Um, you know, just no. Okay. Just getting to know Sam better and and cuz I have have never spoken to him per, in person. Right. Well, not that it was in person, but Well, you guys text. Right. Right. Uh-huh. So to actually hear his emotion and see his face and see how committed he is to this cause yeah. was really cool. No, that was. It and, got me kind of riled up too like I really want to be part of this thing. And we are. We have some stuff planned. Yep. Uh, that we're going to go into in just a second. So at first it was really funny because, and you know, our listeners don't have the benefit of this because this was a zoom conference. So we could see him. Um, we didn't end up recording us. It was just, it was, it was too much for me to handle. (laughs) But when he came on the line, he was wearing this fake six pack. So he had his shirt off or unbuttoned and he had this like plastic, uh, (laughs) like huge muscles. (laughs) It was a joke. Um, we had to postpone one time recording, and he said, well, good. That'll give me more time to lift weights and get muscular for you guys. Oh. That's where it started. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he w- he referred to that a couple times throughout the interview, and probably some of our listeners were the like, oh, what, what, are you talking what, about? what are you talking about? Now you know. You guys drink beer? <laughs> well, we were. Do they come in eight packs? I don't know. No, Maybe they need to. A little hmm. more bang for your buck. That's what I'm talking about. Um, it also kind of made me laugh that he kept wanting us to swear for him because <laughs> he doesn't awesome. He doesn't swear. <laughs> right. But he wanted that emotion. Yeah. Oh, we gave it to him. Oh, yeah, we sure did. We didn't disappoint. I'm, I'm kind of a professional swearer at this point. I mean, you probably could get a side gig swearing. I could. I think. I could. Ooh, that reminds me of a story that we will save for next week about my dad. Oh. Speaking of swearing or speaking of sidekicks? Speaking kicks? of swearing. Okay. We'll uh, save that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you had mentioned how we were going to get involved. On May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, mm-hmm. we are going to be joining Sam in Harper's Ferry, West Virginia yes. for a hike, right? Yep. yep. It is called Climb a Mountain, Save a Child. Yes. And this is his cause to get awareness for the situation of these children being harmed by these horrible practices of sexually explicit interviews. Yeah. And he was encouraging people at home to get involved by climbing a mountain or a hill or your driveway. Yeah, whatever, anything. And posting um, a flag Mm -hmm. that says protect the children. Yes. Right? Get it all over social media. Get the word out. Yes. We got to come up with some flags. I have the flags. I ordered them. You can order them off you of his did? website. Yeah, Gosh, they're upstairs. you're so on top of things. I know. 
amazing. I am amazing. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> so we have added Sam's initiative as well to our Patreon tithing fund. Yes. Did we talk about this last week? We didn't talk about Sam. We talked about Encircle. So right. now we have two. We've got EncircleTogether.org, mm-hmm. as well as ProtectEveryChild.com, which is Sam's program. And 10% of our monthly Patreon funds will be going to those two organizations. And we'd love for our listeners to join us. Yeah, we decided we wanted to, to pay it forward. I think we're lucky enough to be in a position where people listen to us and will contribute to things that they feel are worthwhile. And so we thought, you know what? 10% of everything we get in on Patreon will go toward uh, those two causes. Yeah, we feel really good about those causes. And we are tithing. Shelly, <laughs> which gives me some pleasure there. But yeah, so we wanted to be involved with initiatives that we felt really good about and it just felt like the right thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So the 10% comes from all of our tiers that we have on Patreon. Yep. If you go to patreon.com slash Latter-day Lesbian on the right-hand side of the page, you will see our tiers. Mm-hmm. There is a $2 shout-out tier. Mm-hmm. $4 gets you on our Christmas letter list. $6 gets you after-show access, which is our videos. And other videos. Yeah, like uh, once in a while, we actually videotape a podcast. That's true. Like the entire thing. Yes, we do that. We do after-shows. I'll just do random shit as I'm going about my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of The random shitty videos. Random shit videos. <laughs> Um, $8 gets a message of yours read on the show. Mm -hmm. And then $15, you can be on the show if you want. No one's forcing anyone anything. Nope, you don't have to. There's also a $20 tier and a $50 tier if you want to be our very best friends in the entire world. And these are monthly tiers and any amount is so appreciated. And thank you for everyone who has subscribed, which brings us to... Our shout-outs. Shout-outs. Weekly shout-outs. Weekly shout-outs. So here are our new... Patrons, thank you. So this is kind of cool. There are four J's and one D. Huh. You want the J's first or the D first? <laughs> Let's get the D out of the way. Don, Don S. Love you. Thank you for joining <laughs> us on Patreon. Thanks, Don. The rest are Jesse B, Julie D, Jen M, Jerry P. We want to shorten it. It can be Jess, Jewel, Jen, Jer. I want all four of the J's in a room at one time and just say, hey, yeah, guys, we'll just what's toast up? the J's. Yeah. So thank you, four J's and a D for subscribing last <laughs> week. Really, really appreciate it. Yep. And as a reminder, whatever tier level you're comfortable with, 10% of that tier level goes to EncircleTogether.org and ProtectEveryChild.com. And we really appreciate the support. Yeah. Um, if you would like to get involved and support our podcast, go to Patreon.com slash Lesbian and sign up. We'd love it. Also, um, go there, sign up, tell us what you want to see. Give us some ideas. Yeah. We're open. Uh, We might even wear a plastic six-pack. Oh, yeah. Maybe he needs to bring it to Harper's Ferry so we can try it on. Should we take turns hiking in it? (laughs) I think so. It's getting sweaty. Here, take my (laughs) (laughs) six-pack. Huh. That's not something you hear every day. Not every day. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll drink the six-pack after the hike. How about that? Ooh. Okay. It's a plan. I like it. All righty. So I think that's uh, all the time we have. We want to, again, thank our special guest, Sam Young. Yay, Sam. Such a treat having him on today. He is my white heterosexual boyfriend. (laughs) I love him. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will beat him up at another time. Just (laughs) Not if he's got the eight pack. No, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Okay. So that'll do it for this week. Uh, Until next time, remember, steer clear of cults because they are no joke. No joke. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.